Glad you're here. Thanks for coming, being a part. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of this new series in Romans. Hopefully uh, you've read a little bit of it. Romans is one of probably the most theologically complex books written in the New Testament, that in Hebrews. Um, if you know our church, you know that we've been going through the Bible systematically for the last several years. And so we've covered probably three quarters of all the scriptures of the Bible. You can find those online in our podcast archives. If you want to go back and look at a series that we've done in the past, we encourage you to go through and look at that. Um, but there's a reason why we haven't done Romans and Hebrews yet, <laughs> why we've done the other books, but not that, because they're involved and there's a lot there. And Romans is kind of one of the foundational books of the Christian faith that kind of sets the tone uh, for our lives. And so I, I would encourage you to read through it. We're going to cover a lot of it. And, you know, what's amazing is we still marvel at Rome today, the Roman Empire. There are roads still being used that the Romans built. You can go see the Colosseum in Rome. You, you, can, you can see what the legacy of Rome. We are a republic, right? That, like we're a republic government. That's, we're not a, democrat, a democracy. We're actually a republic. Some people say, well, we're a democracy. We're not a democracy. We're a democratic republic. That idea came from Rome. Like, like that idea of a republic. Like we are living in a culture that is so similar in so many ways to the Roman culture of Paul's day that it should be a little scary when we read this book. Because at this point, when, Ro when Paul writes this book, you have to remember that Rome is not under, like Christians aren't under persecution yet. We're about five to ten years before Christians are going to be persecuted for their faith. When Nero comes to power and shuts the church down and decides Christians are the enemy and attacks them. Like, they're, they're just a few years away from that. And right now, there's relative peace in Rome with Christians because they don't know what to do with Christians. They're multiplying rapidly. So you got to remember, Christianity started in Jerusalem. When Jesus was crucified, he came back to life. And then his followers went out from Jerusalem. And in just 30 years, without the internet, without cars, okay, it has spread to the capital of the mightiest empire on the face of the planet. And Paul has to write this large book to address all the issues that are being challenged in the capital city of the largest empire of the mightiest military on the face of the planet at this time, in that short of amount of time. So you think things change quickly for us? 30 years in, the, in this time period for things to change was like absolutely astonishing. Because back then, think, you did, things didn't travel fast, right? They traveled slowly. And so Paul is writing this book to these Roman Christians who are facing prosperity, Rome is very prosperous at this time. They are facing how to live out their new faith differently when no one around them understands why you would even want to believe this because look how great Rome is. Look how great things are. Why would you want to become a Christian and be Jewish? And you're like, well, but I'm not Jewish. But well, you are because you identify with... I mean, Paul is writing this book and it couldn't be more applicable to us in our day. And, and really the theme that we're going to talk about as it relates to, to Romans is not ashamed of good news. Not ashamed of good news. Let, let, me, let me ask you, are you ashamed of good news? 
I, I would say we are in our culture. We don't know what to do with it, right? Have you ever had some really good news and you want to share it, but you know other people don't have it, so you just keep quiet? Like you'd love to share your excitement about what's going on and what God's doing in your life and what he did, but you're not sure you should share it. Or maybe you don't even know what really good news is, so what ends up happening is you're sharing all these things that don't really matter. And so it's like the people around you are like, that's not good news, that's just selfish. <laughs> like, look at all the stuff I bought for myself. Isn't this awesome? No. And so when we think about the fact that not being ashamed of good news, the, the word in the Bible for good news is gospel. It means good news. That it's good news. And listen, they didn't need it in Rome. At least it didn't look like they needed it. And yet, this is the good news. Let me ask you, do we need some good news today? <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's just a lot of bad news. Front page is always bad news. And every once in a while, they'll just put a feel-good story out there so it's not completely depressing. Because bad news sells. Is there bad news? Absolutely. Paul addresses it very quickly in the book. But he starts with the good news. But how do we know what's good? What do we do when the news doesn't seem good and instead it often brings fear, guilt, shame, and half-truths? See, God has Paul write his good news to a culture eerily similar to ours, and God wants us to be able to declare that we are not ashamed of good news. And Paul puts a heavy emphasis on, in this book on what is right, what is really the good news. That's what Romans is about, what's really the good news. Because there's a lot being made up about all kinds of stuff out there that says, this is good for me, this is how I feel, this is what I want. And Paul's like, don't believe it, don't believe it, don't believe it. Believe this, believe this, this is the real good news. And that's what Paul lays out. And he writes this letter again only after about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So there would have been people alive that saw Jesus, saw him live. There were, he appeared to 500 people in Jerusalem. Like this, this is very, I mean, if you think 30 years, that's 1990, right? The 90s. That's how long ago. For some of you, you're like, man, that's so long ago. <laughs> it's really not. Not at all. And so here's what I want us to look at today, that what Paul starts out with in the book as it relates to not ashamed of good news is Paul starts out with not ashamed of Lord Jesus Christ, because the good news is Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, whenever you see the term, which we're going to read in just a minute in this first chapter, whenever you see that term, Lord Jesus Christ, it is a loaded term. It's not like me, Matthew, Clint, Shockney. That's not what the name means. It's not like God had three names. That's not what it means. Lord Jesus Christ, and we've talked about this before, but for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to explain. The first part is Lord. It means master. It means master, and then Jesus means Yahweh saves, and Christ means who is the Savior. So it literally, when Paul says Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying the master of all, who is the God of all, who is saves, who is the only Savior, the Messiah. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ means. That is a lot of information in a name. A lot of information. And Paul doesn't shy away from it. You have to remember, Romans in this day would have seen Rome as a Savior. 
right? They saved themselves. Rome is our savior. The armies protect us from the enemy. Rome will save us because I'm a citizen and I have my citizenship and it protects me. And I know those soldiers will die for me and so I can have my stuff and I'll be protected. Eerily similar to what we find today. So let's dive in. Romans 1. Here's how Paul starts out. This is good news. Remember, this is good news. We're going to see this in the whole book and especially the first chapter. He says in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul. Okay, there's the author. <laughs> I'm Paul, hello. Like he's introducing himself, right? A slave of Christ Jesus. That is not good news. Nobody starts out with good news of, hey, I'm Paul, I'm a slave. Listen to me. We'd be like, no, I don't want a slave life. I don't, how about Paul the powerful, Paul the magnificent, Paul the preacher who preaches to the world? Like, no, Paul says, a slave. A slave of the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. A slave of the one, the only person that can, can fill my heart and save me. And then he says, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. There it is. He said that the reason I'm writing you is because I've been asked to be an apostle. That's a, that's a herald, someone who's going out to, to, to tell people and to, and to start what God is doing, to, to, to lay the foundation. And he says, I've been singled out. In other words, Paul says, I didn't even ask for this. <laughs> I was singled out. I'm a slave who was singled out. Anybody who looks at news is like, I don't want to be singled out. I just want to kind of go back and just blend in. I want people to leave me alone. I don't want to be singled out. I'm good, just trying to live the good life, just being happy. And Paul's like, nope, I'm a slave, and I was singled out to be one. I don't know if I want to read the rest of this letter. This doesn't seem like good news to me. And then he goes on, he says, verse 2, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this good news of being in charge of God who's in charge of the world and us submitting to him and, and us being singled out, in other words, in a relationship, this is what all the Bible is about. He's writing Romans and he's saying, everything you've ever read about Scripture boils down to the good news about the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and who had been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. I mean, Paul just lays it down. He's like, this is the message we have and you can think it's crazy. See, the Romans believed that they were in charge because their gods liked them better than the other gods. And so they had all these gods and deities that they tried to please and they made sacrifices to. And, and they thought because things were going well, then that meant their God was happy with them. And see, our God's right because things are going well. And Paul is saying, I'm a slave. I've been singled out. And he said, basically, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is what is truly good. Is God good? Is the Lord Jesus Christ good or isn't he? And if he's not, then this is not good news. It's the worst news on the face of the planet. If it is true, if Jesus really is who he says he is, and he really is Lord of everything, then this is really good news. And he says, he's a descendant of David. So even in this first part of Romans, Paul says, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He is the God-man. And then Paul spends the book breaking this down. 
showing how we needed a human to die in our place because we deserve to die. We needed a God that would be willing to take our place, that would, would enslave himself, put himself under our authority so that we could then be under the authority of God. And he says the reason we know he's powerful is because he came back from the dead. I don't know about you. Haven't seen too many people come back from dead. When they're dead, they're dead. Now, Romans believed in an afterlife. The Romans believed that, that you would go on and see your ancestors and, and, and you would please your deities and you'd be with your family in heaven. It's a very common conception today that we believe that, well, you just die and you go to a better place. Paul's going to challenge that in the book of Romans. He's going to challenge everything that Rome believes, all that they believe about Oh, everything's good, and it's just wonderful. And Paul's like, that's not what our God says. It's not the truth. And so Paul starts out with like theology 101. And you have to remember, the Old Testament ended with anticipation of a Messiah. And as Paul's writing this, he's saying, and that Messiah has come. There is a Savior that's come. But you have to remember, these people are asking, why do I need to even be saved? Things are going pretty well. I mean, my bills are paid, my kids aren't sick. I don't need to be saved, I'm good. Same thing in this day. And he says, a spirit of holiness. A spirit of holiness. In other words, wholeness. That the spirit that is holy, that is separate, that is awesome, that is perfect. I mean, Paul lays out some theological things that he's going to break down in this first chapter. He spends the rest of the book breaking down. So if you don't get all this, we're going to be going through a lot of this as we go. And then in verse 5, he says, I love this. So he gives all that truth. I'm a slave. I've been singled out. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the God man. God is holy. I mean, he lays all this out. And then look at what he does in verse 5. Here's what he says. We, remember, he's writing to the church in Rome. This isn't being read by Caesar to the Roman people. This is being read like this in a church service. It's being read in a gathering. This letter's being circulated and Christians are reading it to be encouraged. So he says, we Christians, not those of the, that don't believe this, but those of us who believe this have received grace, and he's even talking about himself here, apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name. In other words, it's not on behalf of our denomination or our name or it's on behalf of his name, which is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> on behalf of his name. And then he says, including yourselves who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. By calling. We'll break down this in the book of, uh, of Romans. But it's this idea that, that this calling is not a verb necessarily as much as an adjective. It describes the relationship that God has with humanity, that God is calling to humanity, and our job is to call back, to respond back to him properly because he's God in the way he asks us to respond. And that's what Paul lays out in Romans. He's like, if you truly understand that God has called you, that he wants to give you his love and his grace, then your response is to call back. Not to go, thanks a lot, and move on with your life. That is not how you respond to someone who truly loves you. Oh, whatever. That, that's despicable. <laughs> and God says, but he still has grace on us. What is grace? 
That'll be impacted in Romans. But grace is unmerited favor. It's what you can't earn and you don't deserve. That God in his grace, see you can't work your sins off to get to heaven. You can't like do enough good to please this Lord because this Lord is perfect and holy. And so this Lord had to come and pay the price for our sins so that we could have access to him and that he would cover our sins up so the holiness of God would not destroy us. That's what the Bible talks about. And so he says, look, then he writes and he says, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times has Paul used Jesus Christ? I mean, he's not cursing. He's, he's like, he used Jesus Christ multiple times in his opening in the right way. And he's saying, grace and peace to you. Can I just tell you, that is not something that we think about. When we look at the circumstances of our world, most of us don't run and pause and go, yeah, things are a mess, the world's a mess, but, but grace and peace to me grace and peace to you right and Paul says you need to know that there is a God who wants to give grace and peace that he is calling people to experience his love and his grace and his peace but we have a response to it and then he uses family terms Abba father God our Abba, Daddy, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is expressing that you've been invited into a new family. And Paul always starts out with the basis of God's love. And then he turns because he's, he's going to have some family scolding to do a little bit here in a minute. He says, you know, you are family. If you know Christ, then, then it's guaranteed. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. God's the one that keeps it. And God has promised that to you. Now, what's your response as a family member? Are you really a part of the family? And if you are, guess what? You have grace and peace. You can keep coming back and saying, God, I'm sorry. I've, I messed up again. He's like, I love you. It's fine. I've, I've covered you. You're good. Not, well, you're going to have to say 10 Hail Marys before that gets done away with. Like, you're going to have to go do some penance. That's not our God. Our God says, I forgive freely. And then he looks to see what's your response to the reality of that. See, grace is not something we earn. And if we, listen, if you understand your identity in who Jesus Christ is, like Paul understands his identity and lays it out in this first chapter, that you understand the grace of God and that grace will absolutely and always lead you to peace. Always. Even when your world is turned upside down, even if you're being persecuted, even if it's a disaster, if you find your identity like Paul did in the midst of who God is and his purposes and what he has said is true and that that is the real good news of your life, not the temporary good news we hear about, you know, it's good news to, heal the, to hear that someone got healed, is it not? Whether it was by medical means or a miracle. It's always, wow, someone got healed. What's the problem with someone getting healed? They're still going to die. I don't know if you know that. You can be healed a thousand times, and it only takes one time to get you. And it's coming. It's coming. 
Nobody gets out alive. So yes, it's good news that people are healed. But deep down inside, there's still that moment of like, but there's bad news because they, eventually they won't be healed anymore. Then what? But see, if you know Jesus and know the purpose of what he said, then you have grace and peace. You know, well, healed or not healed, I know that ultimately I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to get a new body. Christ is going to come back. to, And I'm, I'm going to trust in that. Not in this life. And he goes on. He says this to the Romans. So he lays it out. He says, I mean, he's laying out some big theological terms. He's laying out some big stuff. And then he says, first. So first thing I want to say is I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Wow. These Romans had probably been serving God not knowing. Does anybody even know? Does anybody know how hard it is to serve Christ in blooming? I mean, in Rome. Does anyone know how difficult it is to be in such a place of darkness? Does anyone know? I mean, we're trying to be faithful. We're doing this. But, does, but is anybody praying for us? Does anybody know? And Paul says, absolutely. I'm telling everybody. You're, the news of Romans leaving the security of Rome leaving the security of their deities and what they believed about that, to believe in a brand new God and to surrender their lives to it is spreading all over. People are amazed by it and they don't know what to do with it. That's what Paul is telling them. And then he says, verse 9, For God, whom I serve with, it, with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, is my witness that I constantly mention you. Do you guys realize that I talk about you? I do. Typically not the bad stuff, okay? I don't talk about, I talk about the good stuff. I love telling the stories of the people of our church that have chosen not the easy path, but have chosen to follow Christ and walk with him. I share your story, whether you want me to or not, all the time with people. And I mention you by name, and I tell them often where you work. I'm just letting you know. Because I'm proud of what God has done in your life. I'm amazed at why he's using you and how he's changed you. And I tell about you all the time. Even those of you struggling, I say, man, I've watched this person struggle and it's amazing to me. I don't know if I'd have their faith. I'm watching this couple fight it out. I'm watching these people be faithful. I'm watching this father raise his kids and he's not thinking about being in the next relationship. He's just focused on loving his kid. I'm watching this happen in our church and I'm like Paul going, yes, I want to tell people about this. But so often when I tell people, you know what I get? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> they're like, that's not really good news. I was like hoping you'd tell me that they're millionaires now and We've got a, everything's working out great and it's wonderful and, well, there are a few of those too. Like God's done that too, but like, he's not, you know, they're still just fighting it out, loving God, serving him, making him known. Oh, that's nice. Have a good day. Like that, I mean, they don't know how to, and Paul's in the same boat. And he says, verse 10, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Hold on. Paul has never been to Rome. 
Paul is sharing the story of faithful people who believe that they are the slaves of God, that they are surrendered to him. Of everything he's done, they're like, I give all my life back to you. I deserve nothing, and I know someday I'm going to have everything, so I don't need anything. That, I only need what you want me to have. That's what, and Paul is like laying this out, and he says, I hope that I get to come see you. How many of us would be content with that? You know, you told us we're awesome and we've done a really good job and it just doesn't seem like you have any time to come visit us. I'm not sure I like Paul too much. We need to find some other guy because he keeps writing us these letters but he just doesn't have time to come visit. And if he really cared about me and cared about our church, he would come and he would speak to us. In other words, we have our expectations of the way that we think things should happen. And Paul's like, look, I want to come to you. I, I genuinely desire to. The opportunity just hasn't played out yet. I see more people leave churches over this than any other thing. The church isn't meeting my needs. Paul isn't meeting my needs. This Jesus isn't meeting my needs. So I'm going to go find another Messiah, a new Savior. Something else that's going to give me what I feel like I deserve and I need and I want. Instead of just digging in and saying, nope, there's nothing else. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit. I'm going to give my life. And Paul's like, I would love to come visit you. And then he goes on in verse 11. For I want very much to see you, so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In other words, I want to be with you so we can share our gifts. That's what he says in verse 12. That is to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I want us to get together and tell stories. I want us to get together and strengthen and encourage each other. Even when it's hard and you tell a story of, I'm not feeling much strength, but I'm still trusting Christ. I'm holding on. Great. Praise the Lord. Paul's like, that's what I want. I want to come to you so that we can talk about spiritual things. So we can talk about what God's doing in your life and what needs you have. And so often we're trying to hide all that. We only want to talk about what? The good news. The earthly good news. Well, these are all the great things that happened to me this week. Or we're one of those other people that only want to talk about the bad news, right? Oh, woe is me. How was your day? Terrible. How are things going? Awful. And you're like, oh, Lord, give me grace. Give me patience, right? It's like, oh, so God isn't good to you? Like, heaven isn't great? I mean, I know it might be rough for you, but. Like, I look at this, and and Paul's saying all of this, and he goes on, and he says this in verse 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you. Wait, what? Yeah, I've made multiple plans, (laughs) To come to you. I've laid it out. I've planned it. I got it on my calendar. I got it all put together, but was prevented until now. In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, so as among the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, I've been prevented because I keep, I've got other things God wants me to do. Here's the deal. Paul does get to go to Rome. He gets to spend a lot of time in Rome. He gets to write a lot of letters in Rome from prison. Paul longs to go to Rome, but I wonder if Paul longed to go to Rome as a prisoner. Because the reason we have books like Ephesians is because Paul wrote it from Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he's very discouraged because so many people, he says to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, so many people deserted me because my life isn't turning out like they want. 
and they're ashamed of me, and they've deserted, but thank you for not deserting me, Timothy, and Epaphras, and he lists some other people. That there were Christians in Paul's day deserting the churches and deserting him and deserting other Christians because, well, this isn't making me happy. This isn't working out like I had planned. It's no different than today. And Paul gets to go to Rome, but not on his own terms. He gets to go to Rome because he appeals to Caesar and he's got to go sit and wait for a court date. He goes on and he says... I'm obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. Now, wait a minute. If the good news is just the gospel, if the good news is just like, have you accepted Jesus? You're a sinner. God loves you. Have you asked Jesus to come in? Good. That's the gospel. I'm done. Then why does Paul say, I want to come preach the good news to you who know the good news? See, the good news is bigger than that. The good news is everyday good news. It's good news every day that Jesus is who he says he is. It's good news every day that God hasn't changed. The gospel is every day. It's not a one-time decision. It's a one-time decision that completely refocuses your life to recognize that now my life is about telling, preaching the good news to people. Whether they're having a good life or they're having a rough time, I got to preach the good news about what life's really about, Paul says. I mean, there may have been some of them didn't want Paul to come, right? Paul was notorious for coming and then pointing out things. If you read the letters in Corinth, Paul's writing this letter from Corinth, most likely. He's writing this letter from the city of Corinth, which was known as a wicked place. That's where he's writing the letter from. Can you imagine being the Romans and being like, you're in Corinth and you don't have time to come visit us? Like, Corinth is horrible. Like, just leave them and come to us because we're awesome goes on and says this in verse 16 and here's the theme of Romans here's what it says Paul says this for I am not ashamed of the gospel of the good news because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes not to those who are good enough not to those who try enough anyone who believes first to the Jew in other words The gospel was the Jewish savior. It it was given first to the Jews to believe by faith that the Messiah was coming. And now we as Greeks get to look back and say, wow, we see that God was working through that and that now he is the Messiah who has come. Verse 17, for in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here's the deal. God says the entire Bible can be summed up this way, faith to faith. It's just faith. Now, is it faith like, I just got to trust? No, it's factual. God gives us a whole book to study the rest of our lives to figure out how valid our faith is. The faith isn't like some magic thing that I'm just having faith that things appear. That's not our God. He has made faith very clear to us, but he said he's been revealing more of himself from faith to faith. Abraham's faith, and then Jacob's faith, and then David's faith, and now... Jesus came perfect in faith, and then the ones that followed him, their faith, and we stand on a mountain of faith looking forward to faith. So everyone in the Old Testament looked forward in faith to when Jesus would come. Everyone after looks back to when Jesus comes, and everyone from Adam, the first man created, to you and me look forward by faith to when Jesus will come back again forever. That's faith to faith. 
That's the story you're a part of. And either you believe it and it's worth your life, or you pick up another story and run with it. And it costs you your life. Because Paul says the righteous will live by faith. You know what that means? That means if you recognize that you can't be righteous on your own, you can't do what's right, you can't know what's right, you don't have a clue. If you will come to that place in your life where you are humbled and you're like, God, I've got nothing left, I'm you, Jesus says he will come in to you, forgive you of your sins, and make you in right standing before God Almighty. That you are now made right and that Jesus' job is he is holding back the wrath of God on your behalf saying, Father, I've made them right. I'm still working on them. They're becoming more like us. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's interceding for us. Holding back God's wrath when God's wrath is being poured out, we'll see in a minute, on the rest of the world, Jesus is standing and saying, they're all right because I've covered them with my blood. They don't have to shed blood. It's already been shed. And that's what Christ is doing. And so he says the righteous will live by faith. In other words, if you know you've been made right with Jesus, then your response is, I believe you more. I want to trust you more. I want to walk with you more. I want to try, I want to have faith. And even when you don't have faith, Jesus is saying, I'm still here. I haven't left you. I love you. I'm not letting go. We started a relationship and I'm not quitting. That's our God. How do I know that? Because we have an old, an entire Old Testament of God looking at his people saying, I should kill you. I should destroy you. I should smite you. I should wipe you off the planet, and I forgive you. (laughs) I hold back my wrath, and I'm going to fulfill my covenant, because that's who I am, even when you're not who you should be. And that should give us incredible encouragement. And that should be something that when we realize it, what God has done, we can't help but go tell people about it. It's just the best news I could tell people about today. I just just want to tell people, even if I'm struggling personally, I'm sick, I'm hurting, I'm doubting, even in the midst of that, I should still say, but I still have faith and I know there's a God. There's a God fighting for me because he loves me. And even though I don't want to respond to him, I know he loves me and I have to deal with that in me, not with him. And I'm grateful that he's patient with me. He has grace and peace and love, which is what we just read. Now, how do I know that's what Paul's talking about? Look at the next verse as we wrap up. Verse 18 says this. So Paul lays all this out, and he says, the righteous will live by faith, and then he says, for God's, and we'll cover this next week in depth, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. They suppress the truth about his story of being master and savior. They suppress the truth about what grace and peace and love and righteousness and faith really are. They suppress the truth. Why would they suppress the truth? Since what can be made known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. In other words, God has done everything he needs to do to show people that they are not their own God. That there's something bigger than them. That there's something they need to cry out to. And instead, what we'll read next week is, instead of crying out to the true God and saying, I surrender, I want nothing, we fashion other gods, idols, to be slaves to. 
Gods we think we can manipulate, that if I make enough sacrifices, my crops will come in. If I just do the right thing, then God's wrath will be withheld because look, I'm doing the right thing, so I'm okay, right? No, you're still a creature of wrath if you haven't come under my grace. And God says his wrath is revealed. Let me, let me explain this, and then we'll go into it next week. God doesn't have to do anything to be more wrathful to us because his full wrath is already being poured out on earth. Let me say that again. God's already being poured. Is it going to get worse? Absolutely. Revelation says it's just going to keep getting poured out. And the next chapter, which we'll look at next week, tell us why it keeps getting worse. It's not because God's in heaven going, zing, zing, gotcha. Here's another one. Take that. That is not what God's doing. God says the reason it's getting worse is because of you and me. He says, I've just turned you over to yourselves, and when I do that, you guys have plenty of wrath on each other because, my wor because the world is full of God's wrath, and we just start having wrath on each other instead of grace, peace, and love. And Paul says, God's wrath has been revealed. The question is, what will our response be? Let me ask you. Do you know what is evident about God? Like if, if you pause, listen, we're going to cover this in Romans, but if you would pause for a minute and think about how our world is structured, how families are structured, how, how babies are made. Like if you pause for a minute and think about everything and the complexity of the world around us and then say, there's no creator or the creator just wants what's good for me. you got to be crazy. Because there is a God that has made it plain to us who he is. He even came from heaven to earth as Jesus to lay down his life. He couldn't make it more plain what his plan was. He couldn't make it more plain to us what our life should be like. That he made it known to us as clearly as he could, but the problem is with you and with me, I suppress the truth. I suppress the truth because I have shame. I am ashamed because I have guilt, because I'm afraid. I suppress the truth because I want to be in charge. And God says, I've made it as evident as I can. I have laid out thousands of years of history and been faithful. What will your response be? Let me ask you, what will your response be? To not be ashamed. To not be ashamed to confess your sin, to not be ashamed to, to ask for prayers, to not be ashamed to, to finally say, you know what, I've been pretending and it's time for me to surrender. To, to not be ashamed to to say what's good, like this is what God's done and I'm, I'm just giving him praise in the midst of my mess. That, I'm not ashamed of what God has done, his good news and who he is. That's the message of Romans. Not ashamed of the good news of who he is and what he's done. And we're gonna unpack that over the next several weeks. And if you've never made that decision to start a relationship with God, to embrace the good news and say, I invite you to come in, today's the day. Today's the day to say, I surrender. I, I, like Paul, know that right now I can feel that sense that God is like singling me out. <laughs> and I feel it and I know it and it's just time. 
it's time for me to say I'm done. Like Paul did, I, I'm, I'm your slave. I, I'm, I'm not worthy to be your child. I can't earn your love. I surrender to you. And in that moment, God says, get up, I love you. I got some things I want to show you as we work together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and this word. Thank you for the book of Romans and its foundation for the Christian faith. I thank you that you had Paul write this and that Paul, in his earnest desire to want to go to Rome, probably had no idea what was awaiting him, that he would get to go to Rome, but not on his own terms. And Lord, there are a lot of desires in this room that we have. And Lord, I pray that we would surrender those to you on your terms, not on our terms. That we would walk with you, that those who don't know you would ask you to come in. And for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would believe these truths, that your grace, your peace, and your love are on us if we know you, that you have covered us, and your wrath, while being revealed in the world, your wrath is not on us. Your covering is on us. And that Jesus, you, like Paul is praying for the church in Rome, are praying for us to hold back the wrath until we get to be with you one day and we have a new body and we're made new in you on a new earth. So we thank you and we praise you for this message. Amen.